0: Did I mention this before that um, there was this? Uh, they did some sort of a study that you're a best-selling author. Well, what? Thank you for thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that in your
1: leadership manual. I was like, oh, oh there you Eric's saying he's a best-selling author. That's great. Well done, Eric. Well done.
0: Hi and welcome to the expansive podcast where today we are talking all about the future of work. We'll talk about some trends. We'll talk about what you can do to prepare for the future of work as well. But before we get into that, very quickly, my co-host, as always, Mr. John Sonne. John, how are you doing, brother?
1: Uh, Wonderful. Thank you, Eric. Sunday morning, we are recording our podcast again because we don't get to it during the week. Thank goodness that we are so busy. And I think it's a great topic to be talking about. There seems to be a lot of noise out there about the future of work, future of business, future of organizations. There's just so much going on and people want to know. And so I think it's a great topic, well chosen, and we've got some trends to get straight into. How are you doing before we get into that?
0: Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um I'm excited for us to have a bit of a, a chat about this. Obviously, you know, there is a, a ton of research that always comes out around the future of work. And I don't know, like, you know, when I was writing the leadership manual this year, I decided to leave trends out of the equation because it's usually been a part of the the leadership manual. But I decided this year not to focus on it and to rather be more practical to talk about, you know, what are the things we can just do in terms of getting um, ourselves prepared for all the changes that are happening around us. But I do think it's interesting to look at trends and to just have a bit of a finger on the pulse for what's happening. So I want to kick us off by kind of putting a disclaimer up front, which is that when we talk about things like the future of work, we often hear terms like future-proofing yourself or future readiness. And I think what that ends up sounding like is that the future is this thing that's like about to happen. You know, it's it's coming down the line and therefore you have to get ready today for when that happens. But we know of course that that's not how it works at all. That the future is rolling on in every single minute. So, we are already living there. It's not that we have to prepare for some cataclysmic point that's going to happen at some point, you know, down the line. And so what, what this is really about, I mean, the work that we do this podcast is for people to adopt a specific stance towards the future, meaning that you're adopting a specific attitude towards the future. And that really means that you start seeing change as an opportunity that you see change as something that's exciting and that's non-scary, and that you see change as something that you can figure out. None of the things that we end up talking about, that we advise people on, none of that stuff is like otherworldly or completely out there. All we're really saying is that there are a ton of things that you're already doing. Just make sure that you keep doing them, that you refine them, and most importantly, that you don't fall behind. When I was preparing for the podcast, I went and looked at the top 10 skills required for 2025, according to the World Economic Forum. And I want to take you through these 10 quickly. I just want to read them to you. And I want you to tell me, like, do they sound foreign to you? Do they sound like, you know, completely out there? So here they are in no particular order. One is analytical thinking and innovation. Two is active learning. Three, complex problem solving. Four, critical thinking. 5. Creativity. 6. Leadership and social influence. 7. Technology use and control. 8. Technology design and programming. 9. Resilience, stress tolerance and flexibility. And 10. Reasoning and problem solving. You know, you listen to this and there's nothing special about this list of skills that they've put together. In fact, if you go back five years, 10 years All of these skills would have been as relevant then as they are today. So none of these things stand out to me as like, wow, like it's going to be really hard to master any of it. Apart from maybe I thought like uh, technology design and programming, that seems like a very specific skill for engineers and software coders and those kind of guys. But to me, if you're the the typical podcast listener uh, for the expansive, then all of these things you probably already have and possess as skills. It's just about how you fine-tune them and how you applying them. What was actually more useful for me was when I looked at these 10 skills, they break them down into four categories, like four types of skills. And that to me was actually more useful. So the first one was problem-solving. The second is self-management. The third is working with people. And the fourth is technology use. So when you think of those four categories, to me, that's actually a great way of thinking. How am I constantly fine-tuning the skills that I have? Am I fine-tuning my skills in terms of how I solve problems, sharpening myself, listening to podcasts, um, reading new books, spending time with people that can sharpen my mind? Two, self-management, self-awareness, all that kind of stuff. Three, working with people. Am I developing empathy, more leadership, uh, better management skills? And then four, technology, which I think has been a big part of the podcast lately in terms of, are you interacting with the technology that is available? And so it's kind of a a very long preamble and disclaimer, which is just to say that none of the things that we are talking about is out of reach for you. In fact, you most likely possess all of the skills already. The question is just, are you applying it intentionally and in the right direction? Comments?
1: Yeah, very good. I, I love that. I think that was a fantastic opener. I think, you know, and it was funny because I've been having this chat actually with a friends with a couple of friends yesterday. And I was saying that it's almost as if everybody knows what to do. But nobody's applying it. Or very few people are applying it. And that's the trick, right? Is that we know the trends for the future of work. We've heard them. It's everywhere. We've heard that technology's coming. We heard we've heard everything. Like there's you know that and that's the thing being a speaker, especially when I speak for YPO or EO they've heard everything. There's nothing you haven't heard. What's missing is the real skill set in adopting. Now, where we went through this process many years ago, where we spoke about the psychology of change, and it was really important to understand what was holding you back. And so James Clear came out with the book, uh, Atomic Habits, and it was about changing your habits, putting your running clothes out the night before, so you would go on the run. You know, It was all those things to talk about your behavior, to change and to create an adoptive mindset, right? And then the focus was the psychological like angle, right? So the future is coming. We all know, but many people are not adopting. I think the psychological angle is not enough. I actually think that because even in myself, I have for the last 17 years been doing psychological work and many of my issues was still sticking around. It wasn't like it like they weren't disappearing. I mean, think about yourself in your private life. Like how much changes? Like not much. Like you're still the same guy with doing with doing all, reading all the books and doing all the things like very little changes. And so we have to think about change. And I think your leadership manual it's the it's like mastering change, mastering adaptability. And it's really about us diving deeper into what is it that's stopping people from adapting and adopting to these four pillars of technology, solving problems, self-management, mm. and working with people. Like, what's stopping us? Mm. And I think that's the that's the angle we should be taking. So mm. let's dive into that mm. aspect of it, and let's think about that.
0: Cool. I love it. I love it. So I have, um, like, four trends, because I, I was just reading through, like, different trend reports, and a lot of it, you know, often I get so bored just actually reading the trend. So I'm like, okay, yeah. Ooh, it's, it's the like,
1: same shit. Like it's it's the same. New. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So, so I kind of just gloss over that stuff, but there were four things that stood out to me that I was like, cool, let's, let's bring that to the pod and let's have a quick discussion about that. So the very first one is that it seems like there's a shift happening again in terms of the relationship or the power relationship between employer and employee. So this is something that's affected by many things. We know that this. Uh, sort of power dynamic exists. And it's typically influenced by things like your uh, supply and demand, economic conditions, skills and qualifications, labor laws, uh, employee empowerment, all these kind of things. And with the pandemic, we saw that there was a massive shift towards employees having a bit of an upper hand in this power dynamic. And it was mainly because all of a sudden, uh, a lot of companies were forced to go and work remotely, obviously. And if you didn't adopt that, it kind of felt like you were left behind and then people would just leave you because you weren't providing the kind of Work environment that was kind of just expected, to be honest, and so that led to things like the Great Resignation. We found that people were scrambling for uh, or to retain talent, and it was almost like this thing: like if you don't end up, up to our demands, then we're just going to quit, and you just have to like figure out how you're going to do it and move forward. And now, recently, it seems like there's been a bit of a rebalancing in a way. I mentioned on the pod maybe about a week or two ago that i saw the stat on linkedin that was quite like my eye opening to me so it said that pre pandemic 1% of all the jobs posted on linkedin were remote uh, but today that number is up to 14% so massive massive growth in terms of uh, remote jobs that are available but the more interesting part is that 50% of all applications Go towards that those fourteen percent of remote jobs. (laughs) So so that's insane. But but what does that That tell you? That sounds like the same stat. Oh, it's the same same stat as Tinder.
1: It's like fifteen percent of the guys (laughs) are dating all the girls.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But of course, there isn't enough of you to go around. So (laughs) so kind of the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. So um, so I think you know that's part of the rebalancing that's happening is that all of a sudden. because I've also been seeing more and more companies that are going back to working in person. I don't know if you know this, yeah. but you know, open AI probably easy, easily seen as one of the most uh, innovative companies Research. in the world at the moment. Yeah. They're all in mm. person. Do you know that? They are yeah. majority Good. in person. Yeah. 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 I think and it, I, think I think thought it's was, I thought it was mind blowing. So, mm. so I think there's mm. a shift. People want to go back to the office and then at the, at the same time, there's people going, I don't want that. I want to work remotely. And because of that, there's just a, a complete oversupply of people applying for remote jobs. And as the employer, you get to kind of choose. So you're kind of spoiled for choice. Mm. But that rebalances mm. the power dynamics.
1: That's a great choice point. You know, I, I, I think that the, the answer for me, definitely in my personality, is flexible at work. Mm. Like, let me come in at 10 Let me leave at three. Let me leave at six. Just, but I want to be there. Like I want that space. I want to dedicate myself. I want to get dressed for something. I want to, I want, I want to prepare to think like that. And you know, it's like a superhero A superhero always has something that makes them the superhero. And it's almost like putting yourself into that process of going to something somewhere to be in some state to think about something flexibly and then Mm -hmm. to leave. I think mm. the, the prison idea of nine to five is the killer. And that's the thing yeah. is that yeah, yeah. traffic's a killer. I need to, I have to, my kids have to go to school. I need flexibility. I'm coming in, but I need flexibility. And I think that's the real answer to any of these issues because mm. I do agree that working from home is not cool, not ongoing. It's just not. doesn't matter how fastidious you are. You get lonely, man. And you mm. wearing your pajama pants. And look, how many <laughs> talks have you done? And I've literally done- so many talks wearing shorts and stolen hotel slippers because they're my favorite <laughs> um, with a shirt on top. And like, it's, it's not, it's okay, but it's not, you know, like I'm I'm speaking in Abu Dhabi on Tuesday. I've got new shoes. You saw them yesterday. I got new shoes. I'm excited to wear them. I'm like, I'm already in that space of being excited to perform, to, to get mm-hmm. out there and and to be that superhero that I want to be. So, Anybody stressing about going back to work, I think the discussion is not whether you should go back to work or not, is can you negotiate yourself some flexibility? So if your kids are doing something, go and do the kids, man. Family is important and it's a priority, but you need flexibility. But don't kid yourself that you can just sit at home beyond be on your lonesome. Humans need interaction. We need connection. We need creativity. We need collaboration. This only happens inside a workspace. You know, that's why Apple's like everybody must come back to work. And actually there's an insurance company in South Africa that's asked me to come and speak for them because they're now telling people that people have to go back to work and they miff. And I'm like, guys, why, like, why are you miff? Go back to work. It's like, just mm, be flexible.
0: That's be the only flexible. thing I
1: think that's missing. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Uh, that, that definitely is the master key. There's no doubt. You know, I just, I, I think there's something to, if you want to brainstorm and you really want to be innovative, that. There's just something about the immediacy of someone sitting next to you yeah. and the energy that mm. comes with it.
1: No excited, i excited, the energy, bro.
0: Did I mention this before? That um, there was this, uh, they did some sort of a study. And you're a best-selling author. Well, what? Thank, you for, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> Sponsored. I saw that <laughs> in your leadership manual. I
1: was like, oh, oh there you Eric's saying he's a best-selling author.
0: Well, I mean. Well done, Yeah, Eric, yeah. Well done.
1: Um, it, do you want to tell us again what happened? <laughs> go on, go
0: on, go, on, go on. There was a study then <laughs> where they found that when people uh, got together and they were brainstorming in a in a room with a high roof, they were able to think more expansively. They were able to think more creatively mm. and innovatively, versus mm. when they were in a like a, a room with a, a lower roof and yeah. it, it felt a bit more compressed. Mm. You know, and so if you if you take that and you realize that actually your environment is so important. And that if we create the right environment, we can foster better thinking, foster more creativity, foster more innovation. Mm. And then does that happen when you have the exact same routine of walking from your bedroom to your study and your study looks exactly the same and nothing changes? And, you know, it's like your, your desk mm. is still the same as it was a week ago. I, mm. I just think that mm. becomes a reflection of what's going to probably happen for you in terms of your thinking. I agree. So I like what you're saying. Yeah. I agree. Good point. Cool. All right. So number two was that manager support has become more important than ever before. And the reason for this is is quite interesting is that you have this two way pressure system happening at the moment that from the top down managers are being pressured to perform that we are in a very uh, a world that's very much in flux that there are talks about recessions that, uh, people need to get the most out of the teams that they have and the the leaders and the managers they have in their business. So you have that pressure to perform and to really give a good ROI. But then on the flip side, there's also pressure from the bottom up in terms of, I guess what we we're just speaking about now is that as an employee, you have certain expectations, but also you are dealing with the hangover from COVID, that people are still stressed out about it, that they are still dealing with the trauma and the anxiety from it, that it has changed a lot of how we just function in the world. And so as a manager, you also have to look out for the people that are uh, in your in your service. And so you need to have the capacity to deal with the, the pressure coming from both sides, the pressure to perform, but also the pressure to look after the people um, that work with you. Wow. It's hard to be a manager.
1: That's hard, yes, dude. Yes, it is. That's very hard. Definitely. That's mm. a very hard thing to do. But you have to put up with your own... You know, I, I often speak to my friends that are married with kids and are managers, and you're juggling 85 relationships. Like, everybody's got... Yeah. Like, you've got yeah. this millions of different... Rela- like, think about you. You've got two dogs and a wife. You're already dealing with, like, Axel went to the <laughs> vet. You're, like, stressed. <laughs> the family's, like, a bit stressed. And, like, then the aircon's not working. You've got two dogs, dude. Now you're talking about a manager with... 55 yeah. staff. I mean, that is not an easy place. And as a manager, I salute you. It's really a tough job. I would spend a lot of time prepping yourself emotionally daily before you go to work, taking some time out in the middle of the day to meditate, calm yourself, calm your heart, keep focused. This is not an easy time to be a manager. And that's a, that's a very important stat because you obviously mm. are there to look after people, look after the business. It's a lot of responsibility. Um, yeah, just make sure you emotionally are fit to be able to deal with that. So yeah, good trend. Um, I'm mm. glad I'm not a manager.
0: But it's also, it's, it's also a call to action for um, C-suite, right? Is to say you have to find ways to support your managers because you know that the stress they're on, you know the amount of pressure that's on them. So how can you find I mean, ways to support them, whether that's, that's true through coaching, yeah. providing more clarity, making sure they have the resources they need. Um, flexibility flexibility which also ties into the third yeah. point which was mm. an interesting one for me so it said that 82 percent of people now want their organizations to see them as a whole person um which is weird like i would think that would be a hundred percent you know but how many people, people are only like,
1: 82 what the other 18 are like nah just see me as my nah. work version <laughs> yeah. no, yeah, i'm not i'm not Don't human. Worry about, i'm not no yeah. worry about me. Uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> weird 18%. I'd like to speak to them.
0: But uh, very weird, very weird. But anyway, so it speaks to the idea that when I come to work, uh, it's not just that I'm here to work. It's that I have kids at home. It's that I'm dealing with the stress from COVID. It's that I'm feeling burnt out. It's that all the change in the world is just overwhelming to me. And when I was reading this, it made me think that Perhaps the the shift that we must have, and it actually ties into the previous point as well, is that we need to see people in the organisational setting more as business athletes, because that's ultimately what you are, right? Is that if you want the best performance out of that person, then you need to support them holistically. You know that if you want to sprint, if if you have like Usain Bolt, you're not just going to take him to the track and you're going to train him every single day and think that's going to lead to the best performance. You're going to think about how does he sleep, how does he eat, um, how much hydration does he have, does he have all these minerals and supplements and whatever. And perhaps there's that kind of shift that's happening, hopefully, that we are starting to realize that we can't just look at the performance aspect, we need to look at how we support performance, not just in the workplace, but for people as a, in their totality. Except those 18%. Nobody cares about them. Except for the 18%. Push them as hard as you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just grind them to the bone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. I think
1: athletic is important. Again, you know, I often I often work with organizations, obviously, and, and and I and I say, you know, there's a lot of responsibility for the employee as well. You know, I think sometimes these employees become children and then the managers must do everything. What about the responsibility the employee has? to also worry about themselves and make themselves fit and also ready for what's going on and not expecting their manager to be babysitting them. So I think it's a Mm. two-way thing, but I love the analogy of being an athlete. And I think that it's important for us to see ourselves as holistic beings and then also have that self-respect and then allow that to become sort of more of a reality at work as well. You know, if you lack a lot of self-respect, guess what? Your workplace is going to reflect that in many ways. And so it's important to also foster Mm. and cultivate that within yourself. I'm also
0: glad mm-hmm. I'm not an employee. <laughs> All right. Number Especially four, the 18%. One. Go. The 18%. <laughs> yeah. um, I actually think you are part of the 18%. You're just like, you, you, you're your own an employee and you grind yourself.
1: Yes, you're so right. I punish myself. I've been working <laughs> since six this morning on a Sunday. What's wrong with me? Who's my boss? I'm going to fire my
0: boss. I have the worst boss. He's a slave driver. <laughs> All right. Last trend. So this is something that uh, I think we all saw coming. So I'm just going to read this to you because I um, I didn't summarize it, but it said that the social isolation brought about by the pandemic has hit young people hard. 46% of Gen Z employees uh, said that the pandemic made the, uh, pursuing their educational career goals more difficult. And 51% said that their education has not prepared them to enter the workforce. Gen Z has missed Only out. Only fifty-one. Yeah, Gen Z has missed out on developing soft skills such as negotiating, networking, speaking confidently in front of crowds, and developing the social stamina and attentiveness required to work long hours in an in-person environment. And I mean, I feel like we were we were all kind of calling that this was going to happen. Is that the moment we ha- we had remote work as the standard? Um, I think that separation immediately meant that we lost things like mentorship, that we lost things like, because, you know, a lot, a lot of mentorship and a lot of us learning new skill isn't just me having a conversation with you. It is me picking things up from you through the day. You know, I, I think back to my physio days when when we were like being taught bedside manner. It wasn't a sit down, let's talk about bedside manner conversation. It was, you are going to go and shadow doctors and other physios for you know X amount of time. And it's in that process that you start picking up on bedside manner and how they do it. And so, of course, of course, when we went remote, um, a lot of these things got lost in translation. And now people are starting to feel that effect to the point that yesterday I was in the prom waiting for Dan and I was I was reading through Twitter and I saw a lady that was advertising her services for Two, $3,000 a day. And what does she do? She trains people on having phone conversations because picking up a phone, receiving a call has become an anxiety inducing event for people. And so she teaches them how to not be anxious <laughs> about phone calls. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Wow. Dude. But, I, I mean, I get it. I get it. I prefer a voice note. Don't call me. Don't call me. Send me a voice note. I'm like that. I don't mind. Yeah,
1: I suppose. But I, I guess that your, you're also younger than me. I don't mind. Yeah. I, only, I remember getting home from anywhere I was and then asking my, uh, anybody at home, did anybody call for me? You know, because there was somebody, you would, take a, you would take a message when somebody had called for you, you know? So, I mean, I only spoke on the phone when I was a kid. Like, did my girlfriend call me, mm. or did anybody call me? It's
0: about saying anything about later. You guys weren't sending telegrams. You had you had a phone when you were growing no, up. No, that was my granddad. Okay.
1: That was my granddad. It was my it was my my number was four five three four eight two three. I still remember it. My girlfriend's number was four five three three four
0: zero one. Go through a switching center um, and then say, I, "I want to call John Sonne." Uh,
1: no, that was actually when I was six. When I was six years old, we had to go through a switching center <laughs> to ask them to connect me to my mom. <laughs> I remember that. Um, okay, that's 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 a that's a yeah that's a that's a trend. I guess that's what a trend is. It's not. It's it's just the way the world's changing, right? So Gen Zs have been quite isolated around that, and uh, I'm glad that the pandemic is done and and people are now getting out more and more. Um, okay, so those are good trends. Can you just tell the, the listeners mm. where the trends were from? Where where did you get these trends from?
0: So it was from a sort of uh, a few different sources. So Gartner was one um we uh, world economic forum was one okay and then there was one that i found on uh, Harvard business review but that was also actually just the God no one republished
1: yeah okay okay well look i mean i think i think those are great and i think we all kind of knew them but let's get back to understanding what it is that's stopping us from adopting these things and the psychology of i suppose thinking about thinking right it's not even about psychology it's about thinking and it's about not what's not what's like sort of, you know, I, I wrote about a lot about being a victim and how many people in the world are, are, they're wearing an invisible helmet of victimhood, including myself. And I think many of us fall into the trap of victimhood for some way or another. And, and victimhood is so varied, right? You can be entitled, you can be a martyr, you can be, um, Arrogant, inferior, arrogant, superior. I had a whole bunch of different terms and names mm. in my books. I wrote about them, all pretty much describing myself because that's how I would tap into my victimhood without me realizing it. But the truth is, even though I knew they were there, my awareness of them wasn't changing me. My, my awareness would slow me down, but it wasn't actually changing me. you know. And again, I think we need to understand the the, the mechanics of the brain and what it is to get to a point where you, you are really focused on technology solving problem and uh, working with people through a process of self-management. And I think we just have to hone in on self-management, you know, because it, even in my own life, the more I work, focus on self-management, everything else sorts itself out. Mm. Do I become technologically savvy when I've done self-management? Yes, because I'm not carrying old stories. I've got energy. I'm curious. Do I find it easy to get along with people when I've done self-management? Yes, because again, I've managed my emotions. I'm not feeling exhausted or irritated or frustrated. And I can see when I'm frustrated or irritated. I'm, I'm, I become an eight-year-old kid again. You know, it's weird. It doesn't happen that often, but I still, I notice it. And I imagine a lot of people who are not doing the self-management are always eight-year-old kids because they're just mm. exhausted and fatigued and just don't have the energy. And so I think the quote that I want to start this section off with is from Alvin Toffler. And Alvin Toffler, um, world-famous futurist who wrote um, Future Shock in the 1960s, I think the book came out. And what he said in it has become a very famous quote. And what he says is, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be the ones who cannot read and cannot write. It will be the ones who cannot unlearn to relearn. And Mm. so if you're illiterate in this time, it's not about reading and writing. It's not about understanding. It's about your ability to be agile in your brain. That's the the superpower. That's the literacy. So now let's think back to the early 19th century. And if you couldn't read and write, you were held behind. You couldn't, like, how were you going to be an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, anything to do with education if you couldn't read and write? the, The very basics of our world is based on mathematics and language. That's how we engage with the world, right? And so, if we think about the very basic skill set a hundred years ago, and then now fast track it to what is the very basic skill, the basic Mm. skill is thinking about how you think. Mm. That's really what it is. There's nothing else to actually do. And when you start to think about how you think, then you start to put in the, the practices that help you only answer the questions of thinking how you think. Now it's like going to gym, right? So you don't go to gym every once in a while. You go as often as you can so that you can live a life that's got good posture, that you feel good in your clothes, that you're healthy, your heart rate is a good place. You don't have high cholesterol. All of this is based on you having a very clear understanding of why you're going to gym. Why do you get massages? Why do you go to yoga? Why do you eat well? Why do you try and get alkaline into your body? Why do you minimize your alcohol? It's all of its reason is because you want to live your life in a more Mm. seamless, comfortable way. But we don't do that for the brain. You know, I've got a very good friend, Gwada, yeah, he was actually on the pod over COVID and we were having lunch a while back and, and he was, he's an avid fitness guy. And I said to him, what, what do you do for your brain? He's like, no, when I run, my brain's working. I'm saying, but that's not gym brain. Gym brain is only one thing. There's only one thing that does gym brain that gets you to focus better, to have more clarity of thought, to have less cloudy thoughts. These are all the exact same things that gym give you for your body that you need to have a gym brain for. And when you start thinking about the future of work, think about the future of education. You think about the future of yourself. If you've got foggy brain and you're obese in your brain or just unfit in your brain, you're really not making good decisions and you really don't have the energy to engage Mm. with anything new. So the skills of the future are based on your ability to unlearn and relearn. That's going to make you a superpower of the human. And so I can go through some points, but any questions, comments?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, totally with you. And I think it's good to have the distinction between, um, because obviously like when you, when you, I think that's what happens We when we're training our bodies and we are healthier overall, of course it's good for the brain, but I get what you're saying that there needs to be something a lot more specific that you're doing for the brain. It's not enough. Like running is good for everything, but it doesn't make your bicep bigger. Right. Exactly. And also remember so, that when you go to yeah. gym,
1: you, you do get a brain pump, but it's just your endorphin. It's not changing yeah. your neuroscience. Mm. It, it might be a little bit, but it's not really changing your personality. And so let's think about two words, cool. resilience and transformation. And if we break down resilience and transformation, and when I was researching for the pod, I actually remembered you and I did that thing for New York YPO and about resilience. We did that resilience boot camp, right? And the yes, three yeah. stages of resilience is what we broke down there. But just to recap them, resilience has got three stages and three phases. And the first one is respond. I respond with resilience to the problems out there. And what responding to resilience does, it takes you back, you're on a back foot fighting forward. So now I've responded. And the second phase of resilience is recovery. So now I've responded and recovered to the point I was beforehand, and now I'm okay. And for the very long time, that was the best way to be resilient. And You know, often people will say South Africans are very resilient. I hate that term because it just means you're continuously given rubbish to deal with and you can continuously Mm. come back to, you're trying to look for balance. You're not trying to look for progress. And that's the big problem around the world is that many people, it's not just a South African thing. It's just many people are looking to come back to where they were. And the third phase of resilience is reimagine. And so what happens when you don't have the self-management, when you don't have the time to, to think to, about how you think, your resilience stops at respond and recover. It doesn't take you to reimagine. Mm. And so what we have to do is allow that space, that, 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 that space that gives us the energy to reimagine future possibilities and then pick up on the skill sets that are required to get us there. And so whenever I do speak to an audience or whenever I do um, do workshops – there seems to be like, oh, my God, we have to do more. That, that's always the, oh, my God, I'm so like I'm done. I just, I don't know what else must I do. It's like you're exhausted and fatigued because you only are focused to respond and recover. You haven't mm. thought about the next phase. And so you really have to start to divide that into your, into your life and bring that in. And, and that really comes down to the way you think about how you think, you know. And not, psychology only takes you some of the way there. Any comments?
0: Yeah, I I love it Um, because I've been feeling a, uh, a lot of this recently that people are stuck in resilience because it does feel like a, you know, it's this positive character trait that we talk about all the time. And so we are always encouraging people to cultivate, harness, foster more resilience, but we don't explain to them that resilience isn't just enduring. And that's kind of what, in my mind, what starts happening is that the synonym for resilience is I endure and I, I, you know, I can, I can last longer. But the thing is like, you still go back to the same abusive relationship yeah, or yeah, you are yeah, still exactly. in the same uh, yeah. harmful place, but you're like, but yeah. I'm resilient, but I'm like, uh, but I'm strong, but you could yeah, do something just be strong. else. Strong. Yeah, yeah. You actually, could escape. Exactly. You could try something exactly.
1: new. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. But people don't think like that. Right. No. And then no. the the, the, be- the second piece is, is, yeah, it's a big change, right? It's a, it's a big way to think about like, mm. like how, how far you're aiming for your psychology and the way your brain to think about what you're thinking about into the reimagination of where you're going. It changes your, you know, when you, when you aim further, you train further, you, 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 mm. you push further. And, you know, we've all got the same 24 hours. The guys, the people that are the most successful just aim further. they just, they're pushing themselves mm. more or they're just Mm. aiming at a different sort of outcome. And it's not about finding balance in the space. Not in this time. This is not a time for balance. This is a time for recreation, for rethinking. I I, end my keynote with, it's a time to seek discomfort. This is a time for seeking discomfort. It's not a time for comfort. We've had our time for comfort. Now it's time for seeking discomfort. Okay. And then the last piece here is thinking about transformation and the transformation that we're going through and the three phases of a hero's journey and the three phases of transformation are very, very apparent where we are today. And if you think about the hero of any Hollywood movie, the hero was doing well and then gets kicked off his pedestal and he goes into a state of losing who he was and he moves into a state of sadness and, and sort of like, like loss of himself. And this is where we are. Like we've lost who we were We've lost the world we're from. We're like, we're not clear. Like we don't have that clarity anymore. Like everything we implicitly trusted, we can't trust anymore. The politics, we can't trust. Education, we can't trust. Religion, we can't trust. It's like at every point, marriage, we can't trust. The patriarchy, we can't trust. Everything's got this like questions attached to it, you know? And and so then what happens is when we don't process sadness, we get very angry, very frustrated, and we lose a lot of energy. And that's where we are at the moment. And, and some people have moved into the second phase, which is the wilderness, the strangeness, the, the unknown. And, and we, so the world is stuck between sad and strange, between, um, between the state of not being who we were and not quite who we're going to be. And I know we've both spoken about this on the pod and in our books is that the world finds itself in sad, strange times. Mm. And the people that are able to get themselves out of the sad, strange times are the ones that are going to be thriving and preparing for what's coming. And in fact, teaching webinars on chat GPT, do you know anybody teaching <laughs> webinars on chat GPT, <laughs> Eric? And so it's like, it, it, just the, just the idea of engaging with a new tool with excitement and curiosity, putting together a workshop to try and teach people about it just shows the indicativeness of the, 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 the self-management that we have. And Other people should be doing it because you know what? We're not experts. How do we become, we're not experts, but how do we put a webinar together? We're research. Like what else, what else are you going to do? Somebody commented to me to that the other day, I was doing a talk. He's like, what are your qualifications? I'm like, funny enough, I don't have any. My qualifications are constant research. What do you do with your extra time? Like, it's just a constant Mm. thing that we're doing. But now- If you're exhausted, sad, and in a strange wilderness, you don't have the energy for research. You're like, whatever, I need to switch off. I need to drink alcohol. I need to watch Netflix. I need to binge something. I don't have the energy. And that just goes back down to not understanding resilience correctly and not understanding transformation correctly. And the third phase of transformation is an adventure, is the hero finds himself or herself again, figures out the wind in her sails, and she starts to sail again up until the next challenge arrives. And our lives is a continuous challenge. Even the seasons that we live in are a continuous hero's journey from spring to summer to autumn to winter. This is a continuous human experience. And so where we are with work right now, is just another phase. People are making such a big hoo-ha out of it. This is just another phase. It's happened many, many times. Yes, it's the speed is faster. Yes, it's. But we like to dramatize, catastrophize Mm. because we haven't thought about the way we think. And so really when you come down to it, and, you know, I say this every podcast and I'm so sorry too, but if you're not meditating, you don't have a chance to rewire your brain. You just don't. You just really don't. I mean, there's just no secret besides that in my life anyway.
0: You know, um, I, w- I want to just also address that comment about your qualifications because what, for everyone, like it doesn't matter what field you are in, um, you are always living at the intersection of, of a few different things. And so what that means is that for, for you and me, that you are living at the intersection of neuroscience has become like your big thing. So you are constantly then at the intersection of neuroscience and the latest thing. So how does neuroscience apply to metaverse, to AI, to work, change, work, education, to, education? Right? Yes,
1: exactly, yeah.
0: And then mm. the same thing goes for me. Mm. So I'm all about teams. How does um, AI relate to teams, change to teams. So whatever area of speciality you are in, there's always going to be a cross section with other things that are happening in the world. And that's actually the most important thing. And I think that's actually what we tried to drive home as well with the webinar when we were talking about it, is that we're not trying to be AI experts with that. We are trying to show you the intersection of what we know and and what we are seeing. We're trying to create certain connections between our area of expertise and some new thing that has emerged that we don't quite yet understand, but we're trying to help you understand what might the pattern look like. And all of us should be engaging in that practice all the time. If you are, I mean, isn't that exactly what change is about? Is to say, this is what I'm good at, but this is the change that's happening in the world. How do I change what I'm doing right now for it to make sense with, as it relates to this Mm. new thing? That's like, that is the, that is the process. That is the process. That's
1: the only process. Yeah. There is no other process to yeah. be honest.
0: If you're in there. banking and there's AI, um, you and ultimately about, I'm yeah. not trying to be an AI yeah. expert. How does yeah. banking and AI Banking and AI. If you yeah. are in whatever, yeah, whatever exactly. entrepreneur, if you are. No, no, we got, the oh, okay. we got the point.
1: We got the point. We got the point. We got the Chat point. We got <laughs>
0: Give me 20 more examples.
1: Yeah. <laughs> if you are <were> in building, <laughs> yeah. if you're in sailing. Okay. Yes, yes. We got the point. We got the point. Um, Uh, Just finally, and I think to close off here, is these trends will continuously change. They'll be different in six months. Something new would have arrived. Something would have changed. The only thing we can do is move ourselves from, and this is, again, something I learned from you, is from fragile optimism to agile optimism, this term that you introduced me to. And ultimately, everything to do with the future and trends and change comes down to your ability to be agile in your optimism and not fragile in your optimism. And fragile optimism says, if things don't work out like I want them to, I'm going to be upset. Agile optimism says, I am optimistic in my behavior towards the change. And so the future of work, the future of education, the future of humanity... The future of everything is based on our ability to apply ourselves in an optimistic and calm manner. And that comes down to thinking about how you're thinking. There's nothing else that you can do to prepare yourself for this amount of change if you're not doing that. Your software has to Mm -hmm. evolve to a point and increase and elevate the consciousness to deal with what's happening. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. that is the constant without standing like a cliche. The change is the constant. There's nothing else. It Mm. is. Close us off. Cool.
0: Well, that is the pod thank you so much for tuning in uh, as always we are super grateful that you are spending time with us whether that is uh having us in your earbuds while you are walking or driving or exercising uh, but allowing us to spend some time with you is a great honor for us thank you very much and if you want to be a little bit more generous then please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes we always love hearing from you we always love seeing those Five star reviews, not four star, not three star, five star reviews rolling in. They provide us with a lot we're of joy. All here. I haven't even looked at it actually for so I, long. I like, haven't looked well, in a while. Has anything happened? I haven't looked in a while. Yeah, yeah neither yeah. have I. We'll have a look. We were on a drive for 200. So um, let's yeah. get back on that. Everyone, thank yes. you so much. John, thank you. Thank you. Until next thank week. you. Ciao.